Well, I am so excited for today's show because I have a very special guest. Many of you come from different dog disciplines. Some of you are from dog agility, maybe obedience. Many of you may be from herding. So I'm going to be trying to bring on special guests from different dog disciplines and even outside of the dog world so that we can learn about high performance in all different types of settings. And not just winning, but about mindset and how to do a better job of what we do. So this episode, I am so honored to have the incredible Scott Glenn, who is one of the top sheepdog competitors and trainers in North America and potentially around the world. He's won all kinds of major events across North America. He's won the USBCHA national final multiple times, the Canadian finals multiple times. He's won Meeker. I mean, the list goes on and on. He's won the silver medal with the Canadian team when they won the team event at the World Sheepdog Trial in the UK. So I'm just so excited to have someone of his caliber on because we learn so much from learning from different cultures of dog sport and from learning about how high performers in any discipline think about things and how they get to where they're going. I was able to catch up with him at his farm in Southern Alberta, where he actually was home for (laughs) an evening or two. And we talked over the phone and his business name is Alta Pete Stock Dogs. And interestingly enough, Alta Pete means aim high. And it was the Scottish motto that his family and clan had from Scotland. So neat piece of trivia there. So I know you're excited to hear about what Scott has to say. So welcome to episode number six of the Kathy Keat Show. Let's get started. I'm going to be the best version of me. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Roar like a lion and I ain't even trying. No, 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 no. Hey, Scott, it's Kathy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Really good. Thanks. Thank you so good. much for doing this. I'm so excited about this. Oh, well, no problem. So I don't know if you know much about what I'm doing with this podcast. My background's been in elite sport, and I'm trying to take ideas from elite sport and apply them to dog sport. And I thought it would be neat to talk to people um, who are at the top of different dog sports and just get their twist on all the different things it takes to get to be good at a sport in terms of the things you think about, the things you do to prepare, how your mindset is, just all those different things. Sure. Okay. Well, I want to do do what I can anyway. (laughs) Awesome. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I was watching um, the video after you and Alice won Meeker. Uh You'd had that really tough pen that you ended up getting and you Mm -hmm. went over to the water with her afterwards and you were breathing so hard. It was like you had run a marathon. I might have been. I never noticed. I never, never uh, noticed that. I never watched the video, but, but I believe you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny is a lot of people ask me about how you deal with pressure in like a really intense, high pressure situation like that and how you keep your focus when you're under that kind of pressure. And you, you know, you know, Alice is getting near the end of her career and it's a big one that you want to win. How do you keep yourself focused? Why just concentrate on the job, concentrate on what the sheep need. Wish and wish you would have maybe put the sloughed ones out a little farther, pushed them away. <laughs> but I've that's always been my feeling. I've, I've trusted my dog too much, and I've or I've trusted my dogs a lot, and and rarely will I play it too safe. Like I've seen the odd person 
turn around and push the dog off like 150 yards. So there's no draw, no chance at all. But I don't know. It's never been. It's never been something I've done. So I think it's paid off more than not. Maybe not on that specific time, like at Meeker or, well, I lost Meeker doing the same thing once too. <laughs> but um, or but I won the Nationals doing that same thing several times. And then I, I think just the skill, that mindset that you, that you expect the dog to do it, um, you know, helps helps the dog learn how to do it, or or certainly it makes it helps you know what dogs aren't going to meet the criteria you need, the skill level you need. So that's an interesting thing I wanted to ask you about: is this idea of knowing when it's time to move on with a dog if you're in herding, or judging dogs as they're coming along? Like, was there ever a time in Alice's career that you doubted if she would make the grade or not? <laughs> Every year, <laughs> one, one time or not. <laughs> In fact, I think this year, I mean, the last couple of years, she's been, I mean, she's been a formidable force for sure all her life, really, but, but the last couple of years for sure. But uh, every year, even last year and this year, I will, I will sell you down the road, <laughs> which obviously I wouldn't, but... <laughs> But it, it just goes to show you, I've never seen, I've never probably had a dog as successful, but even them, I'm sure they say the same thing to me. Look, if you hold your end a little bit better, I'd hold my end a little better. So, yeah, yeah. But but I think if if more often than not, you've got to make excuses for them, mm-hmm. I think it's probably not the right dog. That, you know, by the time they're three, certainly four years old, if you're if you're always making excuses why it didn't happen, but it always happened, it always doesn't happen, it's probably, well, either that or time to evaluate yourself on what you're doing with that particular dog. Yeah. Now, what do you think about, I mean, it's up to us to try and, you know, be the handler the dog needs, but fit matters too. So the difference between, say, Alice and Dawn, they were two different dogs, obviously, types of dogs, but you still managed to be the handler they both needed, and you had great teamwork with both of them. How are they different, and how do you kind of change to the dog, or did you try and change the dog to you? How do you go about different uh, dogs? I, don't know, I think uh, I'll, I'll try to change the dog to me to a certain point, but there comes a point that you're not going to get any more change without losing too much of the good stuff. Right. Um you know, whatever that may be. I mean, maybe confidence, maybe flexibility, maybe lack of covering sheep or whatever. But um, I think after a while, as a trainer, you have to realize that you have, you better accept what they've got for now. And if, and if you can deal with that, if you can live with what they can give you right now, they might give you more or get better at something the next year, but you can only get so much, you know, you can only ask so much before, you know, you you can't get any more, and you start whittling away at the good stuff instead. You know, so I think you've got to, you know, you've got to accept what they can give you, and and know that maybe it's not quite good enough in some things. Um, but but uh, if if it'll do more good than do more winning than than losing because of it, then you try to make them better. Maybe the next year, right over yeah. the winter you know there's not much pressure in the winter so it's there's lots of time 
and you know myself when I hit the road in the spring that's they don't get they don't get practice time rarely right when I hit the road and so what they are when they when they hit when they hit the road is what they're what they are I'm not going to change anything then right so so when you're going to start thinking I run into this a lot with um students of mine where they often will go into competition before they're ready and then they start setting themselves up for failure like from a confidence perspective um how do you think about when you're going to start a youngster into trialing and how do you think about it in terms of what you want to see or not see in a dog before you start trialing with them well as far as you know as far as a stock dog i mean i want them i want them knowing their job i want them out running you know pretty decent even a young dog might need a little bit of help but but decent are certainly able to take a redirect well and understanding what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, a decent balance doesn't have to be perfect, but but a decent balance and more more on how to how to rate their shape. You know, so they don't put too much weight on them or have enough, but put enough pressure on them to move to move things. And above all, I think at the point before I run them, I want them to know all their commands. Right. Because to me, you know, that's what that's what finishes a dog is telling them how to do it, not just always moving around steady. Right. Right. So very obedient to you or pretty obedient to you? Very obedient, but not so obedient that that it gets in the road of their their, their thinking. Right. Right. But of course, with a lot of that. You know, somebody said one time at a clinic, not too terrible, a couple of years ago, you know, when I was saying what I wanted in a dog and they said, well, I don't want a mechanical dog. And I said, well, you can shut up, can't you? You know, <laughs> so, I mean, sooner or later, I mean, the handler has to take responsibility themselves for not blowing the right whistle or not blowing enough or blowing too much. You know, Right. That makes complete sense. So when we talk to them all the time, we're basically making them mechanical because we're never letting them work on their own if we're always telling them what to do and we're taking away their responsibility for doing the job. And it'll always be a mix of doing the correct balance of those things. So when you're um, working with a youngster, how much natural work are you balancing with their with the obedience and the not as natural work where they have to listen to you implicitly? How much are you balancing that with youngsters or as they progress in their career? Um, well, your def- what's your definition of youngsters? Like yearlings? Or- yeah, they're a year coming up to nursery age. Um, you know, I want them. I'll. I want them to balance quite a bit. You know, I'll, I'll balance, and I suppose that's all relative, but. Um, you know, say for for sake of argument, I might, you know, I might do quite a bit of balance work for a couple of weeks, and then I'll start working on some off balance work, and and um, it, it'll kind of depend. You know, I kind of like to evaluate what's their strong points. If they got sucky balance, I'll spend a lot more time with it. Right. And um, if they have good balance, I'll spend less time with it and spend quite a bit of time off balance flanks and such, and then you know, and then invariably the great balance and dog, I'll spend enough time with them off of balance that it looks like, oh my God, they, they don't have any balance at all anymore. But <laughs> but if they had it good in their head before you started not letting them to balance, I think it'll come back quick enough. Right. That's always if the you, thing in dog training, isn't it? It's get, it's it, There's never a recipe. It's getting the balance right for the individual dog. And whenever you oh, swing exactly. the pendulum, it goes too far one way and you always have to bring it back the other way, don't you? Yep. 
Yeah, and that's the and that's the trick, isn't it? There's knowing what can you get back, so you're not worried about it, and when not to. You know, if, if all you're worried about is balance all the time, I mean, you'll have a great balancing dog, but but you know, short term, but you might not have a dog that will come off a of balance when you need it. Right. So with a youngster, what do you like to see in a youngster as a pup? Oh, um, a good attitude. Mm-hmm. A good attitude. Um, I like them a little. I don't mind if they push on me a little bit. You know, sometimes it gets a little bit aggravating after a while. But but if they're if they're willing, you know, I've always said with dogs, if they're not if they're not willing to be bad, they're not they're not able to be good. <laughs> yeah, they just don't have quite enough in them to push through the tougher yep. times, right? Yep. Yeah. If they're not willing to push on you, they're not willing to. I don't think they're willing to. You know, they don't might maybe have the steel to to, um, you know, really dig down deep when the going gets tough or when you get demanding, you know, but but it can be a bit of a nuisance for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I think we've all experienced a little bit of uh, Oh, yeah, for sure. Of that. What I always laugh about with, um, you know, dog training is a lot of people see if, you know, you've done well or whatever, and uh, they don't see the days you have, like, your head stuck in crates cleaning that stuff out and... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's not all glory, that's for sure. Yep, isn't that right? <laughs> so when you were working with back with Don, and I mean Alice has just passed now, I'm so sorry to hear about that. Right before the finals, and I know what a great dog she's been for you. That was such a lovely tribute they did for her at the national finals. But Pip stepped up for you. And so you've had Dawn and Alice, and you've had lots of great dogs, obviously, and now Pippa seems to be stepping up for you. How do you compare the different dogs in terms of, um, was there a, is there a type of dog that you like in particular, or did one of those dogs sort of suit you the best, or what did you think about the different dogs you've worked over the years? Um, well, first of all, thank you for thank you for that with Alice. That was quite a shock for, for us. So I can't imagine, but, actually. But uh, went from... Can we get? Should we? Can we get another year out of her? Maybe to not even be able to get the year. Mm-hmm. So it was. It was all of a sudden. Give her a rest. Give her a break at the trial just before the nationals. She run brilliant the trial before that, and obviously she won Meeker before that. Mm-hmm. But um, and and uh, yeah, that's when it all went south. But anyway, um, no, it was. But thanks for that. Um, they're all di- they were all quite different, you know. Don Don was Alice's father, but um, they're quite different dogs. Uh, Don would sometimes get a little bit, a little bit sulky on a flank if you really needed him. He'd go slow when he needed to be fast. Not very often, but sometimes. Um, Alice, she if she if she figured that that's what she should do, she'd go no problem. But <laughs> once in a while, she would. Uh, you know, she'd she'd refuse, but but with Alice, it was we had a pretty good understanding of one another. If she didn't take something, I usually didn't demand it because there was likely a reason. Right. You know, right from from a you know a slow down, and then it would it would a lot of more times than not come to pass that they were just heavy sheep, and a lot of dogs would be struggling moving them, and she moved them around like you know like nothing. At the, at the bluegrass, it was hot as fire when she ran, and there was a lot of dogs struggling to move 20 sheep around, and she made it look easy. In fact, before the shed, I put her in the water and put her in the water and just went back to the ring to 
you know, just to count callers or whatever. And, right. And uh, like she beat me back. <laughs> had no time for that. <laughs> and then, uh, no, Pep. Pep's quite a bit. He 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 was one very obedient. I think you had to be careful. Be careful. He was very smart. Mm-hmm. You know, very very clever dog. Um, uh, but maybe. If you weren't careful, maybe a little bit too too obedient. If it if that makes sense, absolutely. You know, I, you know, I don't. I, I myself, I've always had good luck with a dog, knowing it could be disobedient. If if once they knew their job, and right. of course in training, it's up to you not to just come down on and realize they covered your butt for you. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, in uh, the sheepdog world it's interesting because my background my initial background was in um, dog agility and so that was all about motivation of course and getting dogs to go as fast as possible and then um, it's sometimes a shock for agility people to come into the um, herding world because the obedience level is quite a bit different on a lot of levels right it can be they can be fairly good at motivating the dogs but not as good as um, getting the obedience and vice versa. Sometimes I find in the herding world that sometimes building the motivation isn't the strong point of a lot of the herding folk because they, right. you know, right. they and tend I, to and come down a bit fast sometimes right. when they're not getting right. what they want. Right. And I, I don't know. I think, I think you always need the motivation. You just need to be able to harness it. And if you're, if you're harnessing it to grinding them down, I'm not sure, you know, not all dogs will certainly be as good coming out the other end of it. Yeah. Like grinding them down to be too careful. Yeah. I mean, young, young dogs, you know, they can be, they can be a little bit rash at times and that's just, that's just the way it goes. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly, I've, I've been, you know, I've been, there's always the thing on nursery, you know, nursery dogs, don't be too, don't be, don't get them going too early because they won't come out, you know, they'll never turn out to be open dogs good open dogs and and uh, you know I, I, maybe I've been just lucky but I think a lot of it if you grind a young dog that's quite likely true if it's the wrong temperament for it but right. I mean Don Don won a nursery for me and then went on to win two national finals and you know pretty much everything else and then Alice was at a reserve, uh, nursery champion and a nursery reserve champion the next year, wow. and then went went on to win three national finals. So. Wow! And then numerous other open trials. So. Well, you know, it's funny. I heard someone once say, "Never uh, mistake uh, enthusiasm for disobedience." <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. Yep, yep. <laughs> and also, don't don't mistake obedience with mechanical. Right, that's a good one too. One hundred percent. So when you, what do you think the biggest mistake handlers and trainers make is then like when you're watching, you do so much teaching, um, what's kind of the most common mistake you think people make? I think maybe not getting that foundation right. Not only, not only that foundation of balancing, but the foundation of the bond on, on who is boss. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a give and take for sure, but if if it comes right down to it, somebody's got to be boss. And if it's the dog, it's not going to go as well. Especially you know, at 500 be, yards. <laughs> yeah, well, and it not only necessarily being wild, but if you're not the boss, that dog doesn't maybe trust you to do something when, you know, like 
walking up that extra few steps when other dogs are, are struggling to do it because you've asked them to. Right. You know. Right. What do you think about, this is something I find hard to explain to people is how some handlers just have presence with a dog. Like someone can walk into the field and someone just can't do anything with the dog and a certain handler walks into the field and all of a sudden that dog just goes, okay, I'm listening to you. What do you think creates presence in a handler? You know, I, I, I think it, it, I would think, you know, obviously I don't know for sure, but I think it's probably confidence for one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, confidence in getting it done and being fair, but, but firm. Mm-hmm. You know, I've certainly had my uh, my fair share of dogs that were used to running, you know, just they didn't know what they they were just wild, but but they were wild with well, like you said, don't mistake enthusiasm with wildness. Right. Um, but uh, you know, and and it's it's funny because just about all those dogs, no, maybe not straight away at a clinic because it's difficult because they don't really know you and you're just a bad guy sometimes. <laughs> right. But. But dogs that come in for training, there's very, very few that I won't see years down the line, and they come up to me to say hi, and I'll I'll demand quite a bit from them. But mm-hmm. but I think it's the it's not only the the you know you being the authority, you're fair. Yes, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I and, and sorry. Course, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go I ahead. was going to say, and with uh, like with me, I'm big on. On well, sometimes my dogs will lie. <laughs> they would make they would they would say I'm lying, but I'm big on stopping. But I'm not big on staying. Right. So they stop, and then they're allowed to make the next move if it's right. Right. Right from the get go. Right from the get go. Uh, you know, the first couple weeks in the training, they stop when they're told. Hopefully, but they know they're allowed to go. I don't. I'm not. I don't really. I'm. You know, I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's. It's what I've always had good luck with. They stop, and then they're allowed to make the next move. And my point with that always is is it's easier for me to blow another stop if I don't want them to move. If they've already stopped, then have to tell them everything to do because they're waiting. Right. Well, especially if they're at the top of a field and you've blown a stop and the sheep take off, it can take a long time for that whistle to get back up the field. Oh, well, just by the time you see what's happening and by the time the whistle gets there 500 yards away, if the dog doesn't move until it's told you've lost your sheep or you've certainly lost a, a lot of points. So if they're wild sheep, you've likely, you've likely lost it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were one time in Wales uh, competing at just a local trial and just anyone who managed to keep the sheep on the field pretty much felt like they'd won the trial because yeah. <laughs> they were so crazy. Yeah, you need enthusiasm then, don't you? That's and for sure. and and some and open but still obedient. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're getting ready for these big road trips that you do, and uh, you know there's big events that are coming up, what do you do differently maybe from your regular training to prepare for big events? Well, from getting ready for, you know, getting ready for a, a big road trip, I just try to do a little bit more trial type things, you know, keeping them, make sure they're, they're crisp on their stops. They're open on the flanks, not too much, not too open, but, but open enough. Mm-hmm. Um, opposed to, you know, most of the winter, it's just, you know, just, just kind of rough, not rough, rough work, but, you know, letting, not, not belly aching about, 
not bitching at them for for being too tight all the time, or or even maybe not stopping a hundred percent. But you know, but uh, at the trial, getting ready for the trials, I want them. You know, a couple of weeks before, they're you know stretch them out to make sure they're listening at a distance because quite often I'll have them worked at a distance a lot of the winter. You know, it's all been only a hundred yards away or or so. Right, right. So I don't know if it's chores exactly, but you're letting them kind of come on and be enthusiastic and that kind of thing yep. during the winter, and then you sort of put some polish on just before you go out for your bigger yep. events. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, you know I don't mind. I don't mind them being a little bit pushy as long as it's not crazy. Like, um, I don't worry if it's a, if it's a big bunch of sheep, if the dog's right, they'll, they'll adjust themselves. If they start fanning out, you know, if the sheep start fanning out, they'll adjust themselves realizing they're coming too fast, basically bringing in the ones that can keep up and leaving the rest. (laughs) It's not that tolerable to get a dog like that. That, that takes them a lot of pace in itself. You push them back and, Okay, we need them all. You, you adjust to the slowest one, not the, not not keep, not just keep up, keep up with the ones that will keep up to your pace. You adjust, like speaking for the speaking for the dog. I expect them to adjust for the for that sheep for the sheep, right. not not the uh, not the opposite. You know, just the, the sheep have to adjust to them not wanting to slow down, and if something can't keep up, we'll just leave it. Right. So the dog understands not to leave sheep behind, but at the same time, if sheep are speeding up, the dog doesn't speed up as well and start chasing them down the field. They can judge whether they have to go a bit faster to push sheep or whether they need to gear down for sheep that are already feeling a bit fast. I remember one time we were both waiting to go into the um, double lift, uh, the bluegrass, and uh, I was kind of under that covered area just on the other side of the road. And you came up to me and you kind of said, how are you feeling about going in? And I said, oh, you know, not bad. I said, my dog, you know, he makes friends with sheep. And I always remember you saying, not too good of friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true. Because it was one of those hot weekends where the sheep could easily get heavy too fast. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can, and it's a fine line, isn't it? That, mm-hmm. you know, even when I was like, I was saying if I'm just on a big flock, it'll. I expect them to bring all the sheep in, even if it's a little bit rapid, as long as they're on that slowest one and keeping it going. Right. But uh, on just a few sheep, um, I don't mind. You know, I don't expect the sheep to be walking in. Right. Because if I, I think probably one of my, and not not just me by any means, but but one of my big attributes I think is is cutting my teeth on on real work right from the time I was a kid absolutely you know it wasn't always with a dog but it was with a horse or on foot or whatever you know mm-hmm. it was just get get a job done first of all do you think that's one of the big um, things that hurts so many people nowadays is um, a lot of people just don't get the time on livestock to understand how to use their dog properly Oh, I think I think that's that's a big a big handicap for some people. You know, just especially people that that have to work so hard to go and go to somebody else's place and and rent sheep or or get sheep time. Um, you know, they just they're they're so busy training their dog then and trying to get it to listen that that they it's easy to lose this the stockmanship part. Mm-hmm. Because there's no time, you know, and and I don't know if it's maybe even, you know, some people that 
that are that, that haven't been raised around stock, they get a little bit of sheep time, and and it's all just dog work instead of. Like it'd be easier to do it without the dog right now. Lay the dog down. Go move over here yourself instead of. I always have to move my dog because I've I need every second I can with that dog on the sheep, which I can certainly understand the feeling. But I don't, excuse me, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's always good stockmanship. It, good stockmanship is who can do it better. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting because from a sport perspective. You know, you'd need time, obviously, doing sport-specific things, like, for example, in herding, working your dog on livestock. But one of the things that I think a lot of people miss is one of the critical factors of knowing how to use the dog, for example, in herding, is what the sheep are doing. Just like in dog agility, it's like knowing how the course is going to impact your dog and how your dog will react to that course differently than another dog will. So it's making sure that you understand all the pieces that matter to really getting good. Right, right. You know, because it's not just about the dog. I know that seems like it should be obvious, but it's not. It, the dog is there to do something to the sheep. Right. the sheep to do something. Right, right. And then obviously, you know, if, you, if your dog is only used to real light sheep, it'll probably struggle with heavy sheep for a while until it sees them more and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, my sheep around here tend to get fairly heavy during the winter. Right. And, um, you know, so they got to they gotta learn to, to back off a little bit. Mm-hmm. If all they, they're used to working that close to move heavy sheep, I think at the end of it, at the end of the day, it probably, I think it pays off because it's easier to back them off later. But, right. but um, they do have to learn that because they're used to working it five yards away to move them or closer. Right. And all of a sudden they get some, they have to stay 20 yards off. It certainly takes, you know, it's a it's a bit of a learning curve on their part too. And, and that's where your whistles come in to, to keep them back backed off. Mm-hmm. You, know, sure. so, you know, and then because they, you know, if they're used to working that close, all of a sudden they're, they're just panicking that things are getting away. And, and unless they have that experience, they don't realize they're pushing them harder themselves, Absolutely. trying to keep up. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great example of sport specificity is not only do people have to pay attention to the sheep, but they have to pay attention to the type of sheep. So it's not just about the dog, but there's all these subtle nuances that they have to learn. And I think the other thing too, and what do you think about this as well is um, like the handler's reaction time. If they only ever work heavy sheep, for example, they aren't necessarily forced to have the same reaction time and to read the same kind of livestock. So it's kind of like when you drive in the UK versus driving in North America, your reactions are all based on a certain situation, like driving on the right-hand side of the road, you would swerve to the ditch on the right. So your reaction time is all based on a certain setup. Right, right. And if you're in a different setup, your reaction time is not going to be there, either if you don't spend enough time with sheep or... Right, you right. Know, you don't spend time with lively sheep, as another example. Right. I mean, not only the reaction time, the reaction time of the handler, but the reaction time of the dog used to getting thrown around. That's a. I think that's a big. That's a big plus for a dog to get used to. You know, not being whistled to all the time, but once in a while being whistled to all the time and keeping their head about them. Right. Yeah, because that's a lot of pressure when a dog's getting whistled at a lot to try and... Oh, for sure, for sure. 
Well, this has been absolutely amazing. Oh, well, good. Well, good. Well, I hope it works out. Um, is there any last thing you want to add? Oh, I don't know. Enjoy, enjoy your dog. But I mean, you, you both have to enjoy it, or all, all three have to enjoy it: the sheep, the dog, and the person. At the end of the day. That's actually very wise advice because often one of those pieces somebody forgets somewhere well, along Well, that's the right. It, it's, that's, that gets down to the stockmanship sometimes. And I think, you know, some people forget that the sheep are um, live animals as well, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, it's, which obviously they do. They, everybody knows that, but sometimes we don't. You know, if a person's not, well, that's why a dog has to, has to mind a little bit better is because... Well, I told somebody not too long ago, I said, you dig a ditch 10 yards deep and 10 or ten feet deep and 10 foot wide, and you bring those sheep and towards you with that ditch in front of you that you those sheep cannot cross, and you make sure you don't pile them in there. Right. And you need to, and you need to control on the dog not to do that. And if you have to, you know, if you have to put a little pressure on that dog, they may not like it, but they're going to have to, to be a better dog, they have to accept it anyway. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize it's, you know, it's the safety, too, of, like, the handler, the livestock, oh, the dog. It's for everybody's not. good. And sometimes people don't understand there's, you know, it's a lot more than just the dog just behaving. It's, you know, there's consequences when things go oh, sure. sideways. <laughs> for sure. Well, if you, if you uh, and that's, you know, and that's what we're in right now. There's so many, so many people and a lot of good, talented people that weren't really raised around stock at all. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's hard to... You know, it, it's it's something that that some people have to realize if that you know if you start chasing sheep around, if if you're a hired shepherd or if you're chasing cattle around because you can't control your dog or you're just not even trying. I mean, if this is if this was really you know a real life thing, what we're trying to duplicate at a trial, you'd get fired. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sometimes I think we want to fire ourselves. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, sometimes I've fired myself more than once. So. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You are an icon, not only in Canada, but in North America and around the world. And thank you so much for upping herding and sheepdogging in Canada and North America and being such oh, a you're... great uh, instructor and mentor for so many people. Well, thank you very much, Kathy. And uh, thanks for the compliment. That's about as big as it gets. Well, I just want to thank Scott so much for coming on the show and make sure that if you want to find out more about their working dogs and their teaching program, you can find Scott and Jenny Glenn on Facebook at Alta Pete Stock Dogs. That's A-L-T-A-P-E-T-E Stock Dogs and also at their website, altapetestockdogs.com and you can find the links for their programs down in the show notes as well as make sure you visit kathykeats.com backslash support the show so we can keep the podcast ad free and also to let me know about people you'd like to see on the show and also topics you'd like me to cover in the meantime make sure you go out there and you Stay inspired and you keep trying to be your best. Talk soon. Be the best version of me. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Roar like a lion and I ain't even trying.